section twenty five of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain book two chapter six george eliot's gwendolen harlot and janet dempster there was such strength and such promise of strenuous continuance in the work which made marion evans's pseudonym known that her public could await each of her successive novels in reliance upon some fresh evidence of her power this could scarcely be shown in greater measure than at first and there are people of sound judgment who consider her scenes of clerical life still her best fiction though it was followed by silas marner and adam bede and the mill on the floss and romola and middlemarch and daniel deronda the last stands at the other end of the great line and until we reach theophrastus such there is scarcely after the first a sign of failing skill in the cunning hand it has seemed to me therefore the more interesting in this concluding study of george eliot's heroines to deal with types drawn from the extremes parted by so many and such splendid performances One few students of daniel deronda if they were readers of the novel when it began to appear will have forgotten the characteristic terms which form gwendolen harleth's introduction was she beautiful or not beautiful and what was the secret of form or expression which gave the dynamic quality to her glance was the good or the evil genius dominant in those beams probably the evil else why was the effect that of unrest rather than of undisturbed charm why was the wish to look again felt as coercion and not as a longing in which the whole being consents she who raised these questions in daniel deronda's mind was occupied in gambling in one of those splendid continental resorts now mostly closed to their rich and noble patrons and the talk about her goes on rather too much for the reader's ear among the spectators the nereid in sea-green robes and silver ornaments with a pale sea-green feather fastened in silver falling backward over her green hat and light brown hair was gwendolen harleth she was under the wing or rather soared by the shoulder of the lady who had sat by her at the roulette-table a striking girl that miss harleth unlike others yes she has got herself up a sort of serpent now all green and silver and winds her neck about a little more than usual oh she must always be doing something extraordinary she is that kind of girl i fancy you like a neotrousse then and long narrow eyes when they go with such an ensemble the ensemble du serpent she is certainly very graceful but she wants a tinge of colour in her cheeks it is a sort of lamia beauty she has on the contrary i think her complexion one of her charms it is a warm paleness it looks thoroughly healthy and that delicate nose with its gradual little upward curve is distracting and then her mouth there never was a prettier mouth the lips curl backward so finely eh think so i cannot endure that sort of mouth 
it looks so self-complacent as if it knew its own beauty the curves are too immovable i like a mouth that trembles more it appears of course that the girl is gambling this once for the distraction of the experience that she is of good family in good society and that she is chaperoned at the roulette table by her elderly cousin who is a baroness the impression that she is wilful conscious selfish and spoiled is not corrected by anything in her very ugly history as it ensues though there is throughout the suggestion of potentialities for good in her nature eventuating at last in a magnanimous penitence of which we have at once some hint in the interest which deronda's quality inspires in her a young girl in the first pages of a novel does not betray for nothing the curiosity gwendolen confesses it is obvious to the meanest intelligence that she is going to be in love with him and her passion though unrequited and not very well justified to the reader by anything shown in the elaborated personality of that fine young jew proves the saving factor in her life it does not keep her from the great error and wickedness of marrying so brutally bad a man as grandcourt out of sordid ambition and lust of the things that money can buy but those who like to condone the faults of pretty women will find some excuse for gwendolen harleth in her failure to win the love of deronda it may be also urged in her behalf that she is poor as well as proud and pretty and that she is tempted and flattered out of her better self by the sense of inherent power i hope there are none who go so far as to find merit in her letting her abominable husband come so near drowning before her eyes that when she has made up her mind to save him it is too late even the reader who is not acquainted with gwendolen harleth at first hands will perceive from these intimations that she is a person of very mixed qualities very daringly composed the ordinary observer who discovers that a woman is a poseuse is apt rashly to decide that she is also a fool but this by no means follows she is often a person of a great deal of sense and perhaps principle and she may behave wisely up to that point where the brain requires the help of the heart in achieving final wisdom she may even have a heart and experience its compunctions at all times except in the deliriums of triumphant will or of gratified vanity flirts are by no means wholly wicked or the world which is pretty full of them would be a much worse world than it is flirts even of the deadly quality of gwendolen harleth are tempered to mercy by their womanly weaknesses and are very rarely quite demoniacal the histrionic strain in her nature which makes her opposers would if it had gone a little deeper have made her an artist and depersonalized its effects it is in fact very pitiful when while hesitating to accept grandcourt she turns her thoughts to art with the modest ambition of excelling in opera for in society she has been admired both for her acting and singing 
she determines not to take this step without due authorization and she asks the advice of klesmer the musician that conscientious artist is kindly merciless concerning her gifts and he leaves her to a mortification and despair after which there is nothing for her worldliness but a loveless marriage with a man of whom she knows nothing but evil one very black chapter of his past is revealed to her by a woman whom he has wronged and who comes to plead with her not to marry him bringing grandcourt's children with her in proof that he should be her husband and not gwendolen's she promises and she breaks her promise she marries grandcourt and he takes her home to the splendour and luxury for which she marries him she fell silent in spite of herself as they approached the gates and when her husband said here we are at home and for the first time kissed her on the lips she hardly knew of it it was no more than the passive acceptance of a greeting in the midst of an absorbing show but there was a brilliant light in the hall warmth matting carpets full-length portraits olympian statues assiduous servants gwendolen felt herself being led by grandcourt along a subtly scented corridor into an anteroom where she saw an open doorway sending out a rich glow of light and colour these are our dens said grandcourt you will like to be quiet here till dinner we shall dine early he pressed her hand to his lips and moved away more in love than he had ever expected to be gwendolen yielded up her hat and mantle threw herself into a chair by the glowing hearth and saw herself repeated in glass panels with all her faint green satin surroundings the housekeeper had passed into this boudoir from the adjoining dressing-room and seemed disposed to linger here is a packet madame which i was ordered to give into nobody's hands but yours when you were alone the person who brought it said it was a present particularly ordered by mr grandcourt but he was not to know of its arrival till he saw you wear it excuse me madame i felt it right to obey orders gwendolen took the packet and let it lie on her lap till she heard the doors close it came into her mind that the packet might contain the diamonds which grandcourt had spoken of as being deposited somewhere and to be given to her on her marriage in this moment of confused feeling and creeping luxurious languor she was glad of this diversion and glad of such an event as having her own diamonds to try on within all the sealed paper coverings was a box but within the box there was a jewel case and now she felt no doubt that she had the diamonds but on opening the case in the same instant that she saw them gleam she saw a letter lying above them it was as if an adder had lain on them her heart gave a leap which seemed to have spent all her strength and as she opened the bit of thin paper it shook with the trembling of her hands but it was legible as print and thrust its words upon her these diamonds which were once given with ardent love to lydia glasher she passes on to you you have broken your word to her that you might possess what was hers perhaps you think of being happy as she once was and of having beautiful children such as hers who will thrust hers aside 
god is too just for that the man you have married has a withered heart his best young love was mine you could not take that from me when you took the rest he would have married me at last if you had not broken your word you will have your punishment i desire it with all my soul you took him with your eyes open the willing wrong you have done me will be your curse it seemed at first as if gwendolen's eyes were spellbound in reading the horrible words of the letter over and over again as a doom of penance but suddenly a new spasm of terror made her lean forward and stretch out the paper toward the fire lest accusation and proof at once should meet all eyes it flew like a feather from her trembling fingers and was caught up in a great draught of flame in her movement the casket fell to the floor and the diamonds rolled out she took no notice but fell back in her chair again helpless she could not see the reflections of herself then they were like so many women petrified white but coming near herself you might have seen the tremor in her lips and hands after that long while there was a tap at the door and grandcourt entered dressed for dinner the sight of him brought a new nervous shock and gwendolen screamed again and again with hysterical violence he had expected to see her dressed and smiling ready to be led down he saw her pallid shrieking as it seemed with terror the jewels scattered around her on the floor in grand court the imperious girl who had dreamed of ruling him finds a master whose will can break her own or bend it to his when he chooses and their marriage is a long atrocity which begins almost from this awful moment one evening shortly before they came to the abbey they were going to dine at brackenshaw castle gwendolen had said to herself that she would never wear those diamonds they had horrible words clinging and crawling about them as from some bad dream whose images lingered on the perturbed sense she came down dressed in her white with only a streak of gold and a pendant of emeralds which grandcourt had given her round her neck and the little emerald stars in her ears grandcourt stood with his back to the fire and looked at her as she entered am i altogether as you like she said speaking rather gaily she was not without enjoyment in this occasion of going to brackenshaw castle with her new dignities upon her as men whose affairs are sadly involved will enjoy dining out among persons likely to be under a pleasant mistake about them no said grandcourt gwendolen felt suddenly uncomfortable wondering what was to come oh mercy she exclaimed the pause lasting till she could bear it no longer how am i to alter myself put on the diamonds said grandcourt looking straight at her with his narrow glance gwendolen paused in her turn afraid of showing any emotion and feeling that nevertheless there was some change in her eyes as they met his but she was obliged to answer and said as indifferently as she could oh please not i don't think diamonds suit me what you think has nothing to do with it said grandcourt his sotto voce imperiousness seeming to have an evening quietude and finish like his toilet i wish you to wear the diamonds pray excuse me i like the emeralds said gwendolen 
frightened in spite of her preparation that white hand of his which was touching his whisker was capable she fancied of clinging round her neck and threatening to throttle her for her fear of him mingled with the vague foreboding of some retributive calamity which hung about her life had reached a superstitious point oblige me by telling me your reason for not wearing the diamonds when i desire it said grandcourt his eyes were still fixed upon her and she felt her own eyes narrowing under them as if to shut out an entering pain of what use was the rebellion within her she could say nothing that would not hurt her worse than submission turning slowly and covering herself again she went to her dressing-room as she reached out the diamonds it occurred to her that her unwillingness to wear them might have already raised a suspicion in grandcourt that she had some knowledge about them which he had not given her she fancied that his eyes showed a delight in torturing her how could she be defiant she had nothing to say that would touch him nothing but what would give him a more painful grasp of her consciousness he delights in making the dogs and horses quail that is half his pleasure in calling them his she said to herself as she opened the jewel-case with a shivering sensation it will be so with me and i shall quail what else is there for me i will not say to the world pity me she was about to ring for her maid when she heard the door open behind her it was grandcourt who came in you want some one to fasten them he said coming toward her she did not answer but simply stood still leaving him to take out the ornaments and fasten them as he would what makes you so cold said grandcourt when he had fastened the last earring pray put plenty of furs on i hate to see a woman come into a room looking frozen if you are to appear as a bride at all appear decently Two, the tragedy can scarcely be said to culminate in the scene of grandcourt's death which gwendolen herself describes to deronda not knowing whether she has really been willing he should drown and not seeking to defend herself in telling how she leaped to him with a rope at last too late but it ends there and there is perhaps a supreme effect in this uncertainty of hers which agonizes as much as it consoles it sets the seal to a record as true to human nature as it is terrible and testifies to a power in the writer which is nowhere surpassed in the art which her great conscience exalted heaven high above its wonted office of amusing to revert from her character and its development to that of janet dempster in scenes of clerical life is a curious and valuable experience for the student of george eliot's work we go from an ethicism in gwendolen harleth's case as rootless and flowerless as that of the stoics back to an ideal of conduct sprung from a sense of the power not ourselves that makes for righteousness and to a faith in the fatherly love of the judge of all the earth which promises itself compensation hereafter for whatever is wrong here in daniel deronda george eliot had reached that moment of her agnosticism when it seemed enough to join the choir invisible of those whose personality has indeed perished for ever but whose character remains to help and comfort us who are still wandering through this 
twilight toward the eternal night it involved a sublime self-abnegation which we cannot contemplate without a glow of pride in the humanity so self-sufficing and a thrill of reverent admiration it was magnificent and i will not withhold my sense that if it was sincere it transcended the rapture of martyrdom all the more i feel bound to recognize the meek beauty of the faith which was the spring and inspiration of the author's art in janet's repentance there right conduct was not self-derived but was an effect of the universal law of love which remembers and considers every minutest atom of life and guards the finite human consciousness through its affinity to the infinite and the divine it is not pertinent to pronounce upon the moral quality of the two creative moods of the author but only to note their difference there is socially almost as wide a difference between gwendolen harleth and janet dempster who are alike in their unhappiness and its common source in a cruel marriage but gwendolen has sought her misery through her ambition and janice has come to her through her love and it has had power to drag her down through the refuge she takes from it but never to spoil her noble nature her husband a shrewd and able lawyer in a provincial town is himself a drunkard and when he is in drink he is of a brutal cruelty to his wife which has at last driven her to try his vice as a means of deadening her misery from it we have seen how grandcourt could torture his bride now let us see how on another level of life dempster could devote a yet more helpless victim to a less guilty rage when he comes home imbruted by his cups there was a large heavy knocker on the green door and though mr dempster carried a latch-key he sometimes chose to use the knocker he chose to do so now the thunder resounded through orchard street and after a single minute there was a second clap louder than the first another minute and still the door was not opened whereupon mr dempster muttering took out his latch-key and with less difficulty than might have been expected thrust it into the door when he opened the door the passage was dark janet in the loudest rasping tone was the next sound that rang through the house janet again before a slow step was heard on the stairs and a distant light began to flicker on the wall of the passage curse you you creeping idiot come faster can't you yet a few seconds and the figure of a tall woman holding a slant a heavy-plated drawing-room candlestick appeared at the turning of the passage that led to the broader entrance she had on a light dress which sat loosely about her figure but did not disguise its liberal graceful outline a heavy mass of straight jet-black hair had escaped from its fastening and hung over her shoulders her grandly cut features pale with the natural paleness of a brunette had premature lines about them telling that the years had been lengthened by sorrow and the delicately curved nostril which seemed made to quiver with the proud consciousness of power and beauty must have quivered to the heart-piercing griefs which had given that worn look to the corners of her mouth her wide-open black eyes had a strangely fixed sightless gaze as she paused at the turning and stood silent before her husband i'll teach you to keep me waiting in the dark you pale staring fool he said advancing with his slow drunken step what you've been drinking again have you 
i'll beat you into your senses he laid his hand with a firm grip on her shoulder turned her round and pushed her slowly before him along the passage and through the dining-room door which stood wide open on their left hand there was a portrait of janet's mother a grey-haired dark-eyed old woman in a neatly fluted cap hanging over the mantelpiece surely the aged eyes took on a look of anguish as they see janet not trembling no it would be better if she trembled standing stupidly unmoved in her great beauty while the heavy arm is lifted to strike her the blow falls another and another surely the mother hears that cry oh robert pity pity poor grey-haired woman was it for this you suffered a mother's pangs in your lone widowhood five-and-thirty years ago was it for this you kept the little worn morocco shoes janet had first run in and kissed them day by day when she was away from you a tall girl at school was it for this you looked so proudly at her when she came back to you in her rich pale beauty like a tall white arum that had just unfolded its grand pure curves to the sun the author's recurrence in her latest heroine to the pale dark beauty of her earliest is an interesting evidence of the persistence of an ideal and the mind's unconscious obedience to it but janet is of far simpler stuff than gwendolen in every way and one is made to feel her weaker and tenderer through her very largeness of physique she is indeed of a loving and forgiving sort and there is something most womanly and most pitiful in her eagerness to forget her husband's brutality as soon as the moment of it is past there could be nothing more pathetic than her willingness to lend herself to his wish of burlesquing the young curate who is devotedly preaching and living christianity in the town but who has fallen under the drunken lawyer's condemnation as a hypocrite she gives all her cleverness to this miserable work with no thought but of pleasing the husband who beats her and for the time he is pleased but another time comes when she meets his fury with rebellion and then the end comes about eleven the party dispersed with the exception of mr budd who had joined them after dinner and appeared disposed to stay drinking a little longer janet began to hope that he would stay long enough for dempster to become heavy and stupid and so fall asleep downstairs which was a rare but occasional ending of his nights she told the servants to sit up no longer and she herself undressed and went to bed trying to cheat her imagination into the belief that the day was ended for her but when she lay down she became more intensely awake than ever everything she had taken this evening seemed only to stimulate her senses and her apprehensions to new vividness her heart beat violently and she heard every sound in the house at last when it was twelve she heard mr budd go out she heard the door slam dempster had not moved was he asleep would he forget the minutes seemed long while with a quickening pulse she was on the stretch to catch every sound janet the loud jarring voice seemed to strike her like a hurled weapon janet he called again moving out of the dining-room to the foot of the stairs there was a pause of a moment if you don't come i'll kill you another pause and she heard him turn back into the dining-room perhaps he would kill her let him life was as hideous as death for years she had been rushing on to some unknown but certain horror and now she was close upon it she was almost glad she was in a state of flushed feverish defiance that neutralized her woman's terrors she heard his heavy step on the stairs she saw the slowly advancing light then she saw the tall massive figure and the heavy face now fierce with drunken rage 
he had nothing but the candle in his hand he set it down on the table and advanced close to the bed so you think you'll defy me do you we'll see how long that will last get up madame out of bed this instant in the close presence of the dreadful man of this huge crushing force armed with savage will poor janet's desperate defiance all forsook her and her terrors came back trembling she got up and stood helpless in her night-dress before her husband he seized her with his heavy grasp by the shoulder and pushed her before him i'll cool your hot spirit for you i'll teach you to brave me slowly he pushed her along before him downstairs and through the passage where a small oil lamp was still flickering what was he going to do to her she thought every moment he was going to dash her before him on the ground but she gave no scream she only trembled he pushed her on to the entrance and held her firmly in his grasp while he lifted the latch of the door then he opened the door a little way thrust her out through it and slammed it behind her for a short space it seemed like a deliverance to janet the harsh northeast wind that blew through her thin night-dress and sent her long heavy black hair streaming seemed like the breath of pity after the grasp of that threatening monster but soon the sense of release from an overpowering terror gave away before the sense of the fate that had really come upon her this then was what she had been travelling toward through her long years of misery not yet death oh if she had been brave enough for it death would have been better three these are dreadful things and so squalid that they must shock the refined reader but who that knows life can deny that they happen they happen far oftener than is ever known and if the veil could be lifted from many marriages that show a fair outside what hideous things should not we see it is not ill but it is very well to be confronted with the ugly realities the surviving savageries that the smug hypocrisy of civilization denies for till we recognize them we shall not abate them or even try to do so in such a scene as this we have no outlaw beating down the suppliant figure of his paramour as in the burglar's butchery of nancy sykes but a man of education and of a certain position wreaking his frenzy of drink and hate upon a woman not guiltless of his own vice but utterly devoted to him at her worst who can doubt as to the relative value of the pictures as to the art in them respectively we almost lose sight of the superiority of george eliot's in sense of her superior morality this had not yet become the pure ethicism of her final evolution it was not yet divorced from her strong religious tradition but was still more vitally related to it and when she imagined janet dempster redeemed and purified it was through confession and submission to the poor man whom she has helped her wicked husband to deride and who comes to her help first owning his own frailty and imperfection there might be something there might be much to criticise in the conduct of the story after janet's repentance begins it is difficult to keep the true pathos of the situation free from sentimentality but it is wrought out mainly with a sincerity both ethical and aesthetical and where it fails in either effect it is not through the author's want of faith in her ideal or her method no one can be held to stricter account than this it is for others to surpass george eliot in motive or handling if they can in dealing with such a situation and to bring greater right and clearer reason to it i will own that i do not see how this could be done End of section twenty five